other day. When you get an opportunity in this game, you make a play. The playmakers on three. One, two, three. Touchdown, Kansas City. The Chiefs are right in the thick of it, baby. It's our Defending the Kingdom Playoff Edition. The divisional playoffs are here. The Chiefs against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And yes, we're bringing in for the playoffs the man himself, the shop, the barber shop, Shopalista, Shopadop, John Barber. Uh, longtime NFL player and terrific uh, Chiefs ambassador and community leader. And of course, Matt McMullen joins me, uh, senior team reporter, as before we go around the world with a special number of around the world. Just a thought as we get ready to start, and the Chiefs can now enter the race here after having a bye week and be in the one seat. Well, obviously, my thought is enjoy the rest, enjoy the preparation, but now it's time to get back to it and having some aggressive nature, just being able to really uh, fine-tune all your thoughts, your creative ideas, and, and, and trying to redevelop that, that, that itch, that, that demeanor that, that, that I want to be a playoff. I want to be a Super Bowl champion and how to recreate that. We have a young team, a lot of guys, they don't even remember you know, the, the championship year. They wasn't a part of this run, and they don't know what it takes to get there. And so, so some teams, I feel like when you've been there and done that, you, it's, it's kind of hard to recreate that, that, that mystique but I think this team in this moment in this time is going to take advantage of this opportunity, take advantage of the bye week, and come out fully with all guns blazes ready to go against Jacksonville. I've given the analogy having the bye week was like running a marathon, 14-3, and three, long climb, tough mm -hmm. season. But you get pulled off the track, everybody else has to keep running, and then a drone drops you out in front <laughs> of everybody with two more miles to run. But to your point, you got to start running. And there's, a, there's two guys I think of – Going into this week, and what is Carlos Dunlap, who has played 13 years in this league and has zero playoff wins, okay? And the other Juju Smith-Schuster, who's been in this league, he was five years with the Steelers but was not part of any Steeler playoff wins. He's 0 for in the playoffs. Those two guys, you know, as veterans, want to get this done. So, a lot of reasons, a lot of motivation, but it's the playoffs, Matt. Yeah, it's twofold for me. First of all, it's excitement, right? Because ever since you and I were watching – phase one way back in April when the guys are <laughs> yes. running around in shorts and we're trying to figure out what our team is going to look like. It was all about building toward this moment, being ready for this moment, putting themselves in the perfect position to seize this moment. And we're excited about that, but it's also about taking care of business. And what an amazing opportunity in front of the Chiefs here that if they can beat Jacksonville on Saturday, we'll go to a fifth consecutive AFC title game. Can't get excited about that yet. Got to take care of business, but what an opportunity this is for the Chiefs. We always take care of business on Defending the Kingdom. That means going around the world. Today, I think you have 12. It reminds me of Travis Kelsey, who has 12 playoff touchdown receptions. Only two players in the history of the league have more than Travis Kelsey. Jerry Rice with 22 and Rob Gronkowski with 15. When you look at Kelsey's playoff numbers, it's really now only you're, he's up against like Jerry Rice yes. numbers and <laughs> what he's been able to do. But with 12, we go around the world. Yeah, and I don't want to get sidetracked here, but you mentioned Travis Kelsey playoff numbers. I start thinking about it myself. It is truly crazy because I was looking at them yesterday. He's fifth all time in postseason receiving yards. Only Jerry Rice, Julian Edelman, uh, Rob Gronkowski, and Michael Irvin have more receiving yards in the postseason than Travis Kelsey. Mm -hmm. Think about that. Mm -hmm. With 153 receiving yards this postseason, I believe, he could move to number two on that list behind only Jerry Rice. Think about the legend that we're watching right now in Kansas City. It's amazing stuff, so can't take it for granted. Hopefully a big game on Saturday. Uh, we do indeed have 12 names and places from around the world uh, for this week's 
DTK. Uh, also 12 for Patrick Mahomes, 12th playoff game. How about that? All right. uh, he's only 27 years old and has played in 11 <laughs> playoff games, which is crazy. I'm ready for this game is 10th. Yeah, right. Victory, let's, or ninth victory. Let's keep it going. Victory, yeah, for sure. Um, hopefully next week we're talking about his 13th playoff yes, game. Yes, sir. Um, but we have Charles at Ramstein Air Force Base in Germany. Did yeah. I pronounce that right? Ramstein, yeah. Yep. yep. Uh, we have Edgar in the Washington, D.C. area. D.C. finest. Uh, William is in Rhode Island, uh, also known as Chiefs Kingdom Northeast. Rob is in Dallas, also known as Chiefs Kingdom Deep South. Uh, he wanted to know how many tackles our rookies combined for this year. The answer is 218. It's a lot of tackles by some rookies, All especially right. when you don't have, like, an every-down linebacker yes. at rookie right now. Like, these are corners and, and guys like Leo Chanel coming in, rotational guys, a lot of tackles uh, for the Chiefs rookie class. But these rookie DBs are not afraid to tackle, and, they, and they're good tacklers. Yeah. So that's that's what's overlooked. And we're almost at a point where I'm, I'm ready to drop the, 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 the connotation rookie. Yep. Sure. They, they've 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 had enough snaps now that we need to go ahead and just say they're veteran players. They are their their ex, their expectation level to go perform is at an all time high. So we might need to stop even calling these guys rookies. <laughs> I completely agree with that. Justin Reed would agree with you. He said yes. that a few weeks ago. Uh, we have Leo in Pennsylvania. Michael is currently in Germany. Uh, James is in Dakar, Senegal. Uh, he previously checked in from Ukraine before the war began. Wow. Yeah, all over the place. Uh, John is in Tucson. Uh, if the Chiefs can make it to the Super Bowl, he says he'll be making the drive to Phoenix. Doesn't know if he'll go to the game or not. It's expensive. But he'll at least be <laughs> in Phoenix is his plan. Been waiting a long time for this, he said. Uh, Jack is in Madera Ranchos, California. Victor is in Texas. Uh, Justin Eichmann reached out. He's a Butler Community College and K-State football alum. All right. What's yeah. his name? Uh, Justin Eichmann. Justin Eichmann. I believe. Okay. Yeah, Butler County lineman. Grizzlies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he ha actually had a great stat he passed along. So the Chiefs had 55 sacks this season and only allowed 26. That plus 29 sack differential was best in the NFL, according to Justin. So pretty cool love it yeah we also have rachel at eagle animal hospital in north kansas city i brought my dog in to eagle a few days ago and you did and That's Ra your rachel came out and she was like i love the chiefs i'm a season ticket member i love dtk so i just wanted to say hi and i was like hi rachel so shout out to rachel yes uh, and then lastly uh, we have plenty more uh if i didn't get to you today of course we'll get to you down the road but uh 12 for today lots of people though all over the world listening to dtk Yep, take care of those veterinarians and those vet assistants. Yep. They are very, very important. Very important. Okay, playoff. You always hear playoff speed. Mm. Uh, a little bit more. To me, it feels like you're in, like, intergalactic travel. Like, it's such a tough climb and being in the solar system, and then you enter a whole nother solar system yes. with the playoffs. You played in the postseason. What's this like? And how about the old adage, there's regular season speed and playoff speed? I got to say it's true. I got to say that, you know, when you enter the league and you're starting to um, go throughout the season, the first about 10, 10 or so games of the year, you feel like you're in, in um, gear one or gear two. And then when you get to the back end of the season, after a bye week, you go into gears three and four. Um, as the postseason arrives and you start talking about the wild cards and then the divisional and conference championship, they feel like you're going into maybe sixth or seventh gear. And, and when you really think about it, when you get to the Super Bowl, there is no gear. It, it, it's, it's, it's a, it goes for a lack of words because there, you can't prepare yourself for that much adrenaline, energy, that much excitement, that, that expectation. You don't know how your body's going to react, and so there's no way to truly prepare for it. I've never played in one. It, just the excitement of being in the venue as a former player had me geeking out and stuff like that. Bada boom, bada bing. I'm, before I know it, it's, it's kickoff time. And so whatever you can do to get yourself in that moment and, and just mentally kind of prepare yourself for the, the game, the, the, the calls to come a little quicker, 
the, the formation, the shifts and motions, the, you know, uh, just always preparing yourself for the what ifs and what could is, uh, what, what can happen. I think our team is in a very unique situation to have had that week to just sit back and watch the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars and the, and the Chargers play each other, to watch the uh, the Bills play and watch the um, um, Cincinnati Bengals play, all the, 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 the future opponents that might come out of this playoffs, we had a chance to actually see them play playoff speed already and then kind of uh, acclimate, acclimate ourselves to playing that same speed, that same tempo, and then making them actually um, kind of play, play to our speed and our tempo. Interesting you say bada boom, bada bing, because those are two of the planets in this new solar system we're in, <laughs> uh, in the playoffs. If Mahomes can win this game, it would be his ninth playoff victory since 2018. If Andy Reid wins this game, it will be his 20th playoff victory. He will tie Tom Landry for second most yes. in National Football League history. The reason I say that is I waited 21 seasons as the voice of the Chiefs to get my first playoff win. And when you were talking, it was triggering all these thoughts. It's so impressive with what Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes have done in the playoffs, not just here, but in Andy's case, also in Philadelphia. So I saw Danon out in the PR office a few hours ago waiting for media because Danon interviews the players when he's here and uh, overheard him talking about this, and it's so true. People were talking about coach of the year, right? Mm -hmm. Who's going to be the coach of the year? Is it Brian Dable? Uh, is it Coach Peterson? There's lots of good candidates, sure, for coach yep. of the year. Uh, it should be Andy Reid, in my opinion. And being good in the NFL is difficult. Being consistently good in the NFL is next to impossible. If you look at this current playoff field, teams that have gone from worst to first, right? Teams that have weren't very good previously are now winning their division. The Chiefs are just right there every single year with a chance at winning the Super Bowl since Coach Reed got here and certainly since Patrick Mahomes became our quarterback. Uh, and I think it's so impressive that with all these expectations on the Chiefs every single season, they find a way to meet that standard mm -hmm. and they're never satisfied with it. So to go to four consecutive conference title games and to have so much turnover uh, on offense this past offseason, to come into this year and to answer all of the doubts and questions from outside of the kingdom with a 14-3 and record, the top seed in the AFC, and a real shot at hopefully getting back to the conference title game and then the Super Bowl, uh, it's just an amazing thing, and it's a real testament to Coach Reed and how steady he is as a leader for this franchise. I brought up the Landry stat to him. He's like, you know how much I care? I was like, okay, okay I just got to bring it. Um, but here, here's what's interesting. You're talking about worst to first. That's a great segue into this week's divisional opponent because it's the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yes. And if I was wrong about this, I wouldn't bring it up. But, Matt, I'm going to let you attest to this <laughs> because after we played the Titans in week nine, mm -hmm. we played the Jaguars in week ten, played them back-to-back. And I know Malik Willis was quarterback and then for the Titans. But, Matt, I'll let you take over here. Yeah. Because I'd done a deep dive into those two teams. Exactly. In those two weeks. And what did I tell you, Matt? Slip and surge. Mitch is like, I see a slip and surge right here. I really think the Titans are going to be one of those teams that falls off a bit and the Jags are going to take advantage of it. And you said, I don't know if it will happen this season, but next season for sure look out. But then all of a sudden it started happening right away this season. And then when we were flying back from – was it Vegas? Yeah, it yeah. was Vegas. Yeah. And uh, we were watching the Jags play the Titans for that play-in Josh game, Allen running it in off the uh, scoop and score. Exactly, yeah. I was watching it on my phone, on the Wi-Fi, on the plane. And then when it was pretty obvious the Jags were going to win that game, I went over and tapped you, and I was like, slip and surge. You called it, I mean, seven weeks ago. Uh, and 
it's really, speaking of a testament to Coach Reed, this is a testament to Coach Peterson yeah. and what he's done uh, there in Jacksonville. It's truly remarkable. And again, a steady influence. I mean, things could have really unraveled there, and they did not. They did the opposite. They came together as a team. And uh, that's why they're in this position right here, and it'll be a challenge for the Chiefs here on Saturday. Coach Reed changed the Chiefs' kingdom culture over these 10 years, and you just laid it out uh, very well. So dramatically, he changed the culture here to make it really the best team in the NFL over a 10-year period. But how much is Doug Peterson doing that, yeah. Sean? And uh, how much does culture help you win in the playoffs? Well, the one thing I've always said about Coach Reed, and, and I probably will say the same thing about Coach Peterson, is the, the process always is greater than the production. You can never gauge a coach by his um, season record. It's the process. Are the guys trusting in how he goes about his work, the uh, routine of the practice schedule, when to take off and when to press, uh, when to tell guys, you know, hey, you, you got to – sometimes you got to praise them and sometimes you got to take your foot and put it up to you know what and get them – kind of get them going a little bit. And knowing when to do that and when not to do it, when to understand guys got things going on off the field, I got to give this guy a little bit more rope. Uh, because he's got some things going off the field to handle and then expecting him to have the expectation and when he's back in the building to be able to, hey, it's time to focus back in and get a job done. And understanding that kind of sacrifice and commitment that you're asking all 53 guys to do is not easy. And it's not something you should take for granted as a coach. Um, and Andy always can, can kind of testify firsthand about it because he lives that life. He lives it and he asks the guys to do exactly what he does. Mm. When you come in every day, check your personal stuff at the door. Everything else needs to be hung up on the, on the hanger outside the door. When you come into the building, you go into meeting rooms, you got to act like you, you treat them like men and they respond like men. They take care of business. And you, you, you hear it in the, in the interviews and you think it's Patrick just, um, you know, with, some, with some, some, some good words and some good talk. But these guys enjoy playing. They enjoy developing new plays and being around each other, having fun out there on the field. And it, isn't, it doesn't matter if it's week one or week, uh, first week of the playoffs or if it's getting ready for the uh, Super Bowl. They actually love being around each other. They love preparing to whatever that next challenge is. And they want that next challenge to be that team full strength at its best. They always want to be challenged to push the envelope so they can uh, push themselves to either a higher plane of playing. And so you got to just take your hat off and you just you know tip a hat to Coach Peterson because he's been able to recreate that not only at Jacksonville, but he did the same thing at the Eagles yeah. when they were not successful. He went in there and did the same thing. So um, the, the process being greater than the production. Love it. And um, I respect Doug a lot and being with him here three years. That leads me to th I'm gonna get your thought on the Jaguar defense here because that's where I want to start, Matt, with you. When I look at what they've done, uh, 27 takeaways. That's only three teams had more in the league. 13 fumble recoveries. Only Dallas had more, and only New England had more takeaway points. But it's been the pressure rate uh, by the Jaguars since that game against the Chiefs, a 37.4 pressure rate since Week Nine. Now the Chiefs played in Week Ten, but this really got amped up. Only the Philadelphia Eagles have had a higher pressure rate yeah. than the Jacksonville Jaguars. And that seems to be – and here's what I heard around the building this week from some players and some coaches is that, hey, what, you know, what's the difference? What are you seeing in them? That they're trusting the process more. These, these are t young, talented players, right? I mean, you got Walker, who's a 1-1. you got Devin yeah. Lloyd. you got all these dudes. But now they're going, oh, okay, we see what we're, why we're supposed to do this. And it's been impressive to see what the Jaguar defense has done since week 10. Yeah, it's funny because prior to week 10, we were talking about this team, and it was twofold. It was like this team is super talented, 
but they're also young and they're going to make young player mistakes. Like mm -hmm. We can see that, uh, but they have some really good players and they've really been putting it together uh, over the second half of the season. Uh, guys like Josh Allen, uh, six sacks this year. Trayvon Walker, you mentioned him, three and a half sacks. His production goes beyond just the sacks yeah. too. Like you can see him on tape. You're like, this guy's really good. Uh, and Arden Key, you know, a guy that's been around a while, has four and a half sacks this year. Coach Bienemy earlier today mentioned how when you have a 27-point comeback, a lot of things have to happen, right? But he said, I believe the Jaguars' defensive line is where they won that game because in the second half, they allowed the Chargers to score just three points, mm -hmm. and it takes both to get a comeback, right? You can't just score a bunch of points yourself. You have to make sure your defense also is holding the opposition down, and they certainly did that, and it began up front. So their defense is impressive. They are still young. If you're looking for one thing as a Chiefs fan, where's a weakness for this group? They had the second most missed tackles of any team in the NFL, but that has seemed to improve as the season has gone on. So for the Chiefs in this one, again, I mean, this is a good defense, and we saw it back in Week 10. They're very physical. They're not going to be scared <laughs> of the Chiefs here in this game. Oh, no. And you mentioned Tron Walker. His pressure weight from the first time they played the Chiefs went from 5.1 to 15.1. It was the largest increase of any player in the National Football League. So this team is feisty, Shop. Yeah, yeah. And what the Chiefs offense has to do, remember Andre Sisco, yeah. his hit on both Juju Smith-Schuster and Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Rayshon Jenkins wins that game that you were talking about. We were watching on the plane because he comes in and rips the ball out from Dobbs, and there goes Josh Allen to win the get him into the playoffs. Feisty, young, nasty, they're going to rip the ball out. If you're the Chiefs' offense, talk me through this. Well, defensively, you know they're going to try to um – they're going to try to do exactly what we said. They're going to be aggressive. They're going to strip the ball. They're going to take some chances. Uh, they'd rather punch the ball than secure a tackle. So you have to be very um, turnover aware on every instance of the ball game, um, whether you're the quarterback about to deliver the pass, receiver receiving it. Um, wherever you're at on the field, you've got to be alert that there's going to be hands and you know, trying to rip the ball out, create turnovers. But you can take advantage of their um, athleticism and their um, aggressiveness by what we've been doing all, all year. Our shifts and motions always cause defenses a little bit of unsureness. And that's the one thing. If you want to be a confident defense, you want to play fast, everybody has to be on the same page. The, the, the D-line has to be able to understand when they can take window rushes and go inside and, 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 and give up an outside um, um, scramble to the quarterback. The linebackers got to be able to be 100% on formations and shifts and motions to make sure they get the, the secondary and the uh, D-line in the right gaps. And then the secondary has to trust that pressure will get there so they can trust their, te their technique. If every level of that defense doesn't trust one another and they don't communicate, then things unravel when they give up big plays. And that's what happened to them early in the game against the Chargers. They gave up a lot of big plays because of mental mistakes. But they were, they were, they were, they were persistent enough to stay with it. So we have to really be um, very confident and very uh, um, um, solidified on our shifts and motions. And when we get them out of their position, we got to make them pay. And when you got to make them pay, you got to make them pay for touchdowns, not field goals. Yeah, and you say taking chances. That triggers me to the next thought, but I'm going to – uh, with the close it on the Jags defense this way, to me the biggest moment in that game was Jamal Agnew muffed a punt. Now he's a threat to go every time. He's got some Tamaric Vanover in mm -hmm. him. Like he's going to just go. But he muffs the punt. Chargers get the ball at the six. They gain one yard. They kick a field goal, and it's 27 to nothing, not 34 to nothing. And now all of a sudden you're going, well, the door's still open here, and we all know what happened after that. But you say taking chances. That gets me now to the other side of this discussion, Matt, and I'll start with you, and that is this Jaguar offense. Why did they beat the Chargers? They went for two. 
in that game and got it towards a two-point game, and they get the walk-off field goal. Only Arizona went for two more than the Jacksonville Jaguars this season. Fourth down, they went for it twice against us in week 10. Onside kick. <laughs> what are we looking at here, man? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Coach Peterson's Coach Peterson, right? I mean, yeah. think about the Philly special yes, uh, right. with the Eagles. He's going to take chances. He's not scared, and I respect that. And I think he knows when you're playing an opponent like the Chiefs and a Hall of Fame coach like Coach Reed and a great player like Patrick Mahomes, the best quarterback in the NFL, you have to take chances, and the Chiefs have to be ready for those chances. There's a lot of good to take out of the Chiefs' victory over the Jags back in Week 10, but there was also plenty to learn from in that game. There was three giveaways by the Chiefs in that game and the lost onside kick, so essentially four lost possessions in that game. Now, it's good for the Chiefs. They won by 10, but there's room for growth there. So uh, in this game, the Chiefs just have to be ready for the unexpected, I think. It helps that they've played the Jags already, kind of know what they do, and yeah, they're a much better team than when we saw them back in Week 10, but you got to be ready for the unexpected because those kind of things are magnified in the postseason. Yeah, and one of those fumbles was a Jody Fortson fielding a pooch kick. So it's not just onside kicks. You're going to get pooch kicks uh, from this team, and who knows? Uh, Everything else, like every two-point conversion play that you can have imagined, Doug's probably thought of it, <laughs> and the Chiefs' defense has to be ready. I'm going to ask you about it from the Chiefs' uh, defensive standpoint against this offense. Well, let me let me ask you now about it because training yourself that yes. second down is third down, third down is fourth exactly. down, exactly, and that after a touchdown, they're going to go for two. That how much do you have to? train your brain and your body for that as a defensive player? Well, everybody wants to worry and really get hyper-focused uh, on third down, right? That's the when we get off the field. That's that's the day when you got to really – the PA guy, it's third down. Third, it's third down. Yeah. We got we to bring our uh, big horses and our big guns on – no, it's first and second down. You got to set up a team with third and long to make sure that your third downs are manageable for your guys to really go uh, pin their ears back and get after the quarterback. And so when you're on third down and, and a ball carrier is, you know, is, is three or four yards short and you don't tackle him and make him go backwards, you allow a little uh, one or two yards to be you know, gotten at the, uh, given at the end of that tackle, well, instead of being fourth and three in a definite punt, now it makes it fourth and one. And it brings up those scenarios over and over again. So at the end of plays, when you see all those, those, those sneaky hidden yardage of an extra yard or extra two yards being get, um, gained at the end of a big third down or end of a big second down, all of that yardage comes into play when he's trying to think about whether we're going to go for it, uh, field position, situational um, um, awareness, all of those things come into play. So when we say we have, this has to be one of the games where we are the, the most sure tackling team um, in the building, we have to make sure we do it every single down. Defensively, you got to hunt as a pack. You got to hunt as a unit. You're all one of 11. But when you get there, you got to get there with a purpose. And it's gang tackling. It's pushing that pile backwards. No extra yards given after contact. And it leads me to want to ask you about Travis Etienne. We're going to get into Trevor Lawrence here in the receiving yes. court. But I want to go to Travis Etienne. The Chiefs held him 11 carries, 45 yards in that game back in week 10. But this is a team that led the NFL in 50-plus runs. They led the NFL in four touchdown runs of 15 yards or more. We saw what he did on the 25-yard run on fourth and one, nah. right? Uh, it's a great he, play design, to, wasn't it? It's it was. a T formation, it's beautiful. like 28 sweep, like <laughs> 1930s football, but it worked. And Doug did a great job. He saw the A gap and B gap. He's like, it's cold. Timeout. We're going to run the perimeter. Um, if the Chargers stay in that defense, which they did. Uh, but Travis Etienne uh, mainly is because that triggered the thought of what Shop was talking about, how 
And this guy has reached 20 miles an hour on runs four times this season. Not a receiver. This isn't Marquez Valdez scaling or any tw- This is as a runner getting up to 20 miles an hour as a runner. Yeah, he's a stud. He's a super dynamic player. And it was obvious early on this season, which is basically his rookie season because he missed all of last year, mm-hmm. that he was going to be the guy on this team. And that's why they felt comfortable trading away James Robinson. And since week six, when ETN essentially became the starter, he's eighth in the NFL in total scrimmage yards with more than 1,100 on the ground as just a runner. He averaged uh, 5.1 yards per carry this season and is more than 1,400 scrimmage yards this year, made up 23% of the Jags' total as a team. If you want to stop the Jags, it begins with stopping Travis Etienne because yes. if Trevor Lawrence is able to hand the ball off or find him in the short passing game, really opens up everything yes. else. Now, like you said, the good news is the Chiefs actually contained him back in Week 10. Coming into that game, he had five straight games of at least 100 yards from scrimmage. Mm -hmm. The Chiefs held him to to just 73 yards from scrimmage in that game, really never got going. Had one 24-yard catch, but outside of that, really didn't have too much of an impact on the game. We need a similar performance this time around because the Jags really go the way, for the most part, of Travis Etienne. I'm with you all the way on it. Now, give me your – because this is real quick. Give me your – because we're going to wrap it up here, but the Trevor Lawrence (laughs) – Release time, oh, which yeah. right now is either the fastest or next to fastest in the league. And I'm, I'm, just, I'm coming to you with it. I got you. So just give me the number. Well, this is this is where I'm super nerdy, right? Uh, Trevor Lawrence, I texted you. I was like, you got to see this. And no one else would care about this. Trevor Lawrence, his average time to throw is 2.52 seconds. That's the third fastest of any quarterback in the NFL. When he gets rid of the football quickly, he's among the best quarterbacks in football. If you look at pro football focus numbers or any other kind of basic metric. But when he holds on to the ball... He struggles, and he really struggles under pressure. According to PFF, he is the fourth worst quarterback in the NFL under pressure this year, but the fourth best when he's kept clean. And here's why I'm coming to you on it, Shab, because you were ahead of your time. You were ahead of your time. I'm going to say this as a cop. You were ahead of your time. My favorite, and Matt knows this, and if people saw our text back and forth late at night, they'd go, what are you I get guys, the eye roll what, from what my wife. Like, like, what? Like, oh, man, I found this one. What do you think? Uh, <laughs> it's a really very weird life. It is. My favorite, Wouldn't trade it for anything, though. You know where I'm going with this. My favorite <laughs> defensive stat, though, of the Kansas City Chiefs defense of 2022, 33 passes defensed by players who are not defensive backs. Yes, sir. Dunlap's got eight. Karloftis tied for the rookie lead with seven. Chris Jones has four. Mike Dana's got a couple. Willie Gay Jr.'s got a couple, including a pick six off a tip. Trevor Lawrence... Three of his four interceptions, you guys, against the Chargers right. were on deflections. Yep. Now, you were way ahead of your time because you were doing this before people were really <laughs> doing it. So this quick release time, you can't get to him necessarily yeah. to sack him. Yeah. So what about getting deflections and creating havoc? Well, J.J. Uh, Watt made an entire career about batting balls down, getting in the windows of, of, the, of the passer and understanding how to read the quarterback's eyes. And if there's one thing that Trevor is not doing great as a young quarterback, obviously he's ascending, his eyes are locking in the receivers way too early. And when you do that, it allows the D-line to figure out where those lanes are and get those big paws up. When you want to stop slants and you want to start short hook routes, you can't ask the DBs to play zone in the first five yards. That That is almost like a no-cover zone. We call it no-cover zone in, in zone defense because you want to make sure you're protecting the back end and be able to react on those balls that are beyond five yards. So you expect the D-linemen. You all take away the slants. You all take away those short, quick three-step drops and allow us to sit back in our zones and mesh and melt towards zone coverage. 
if that's not the case, then you're going to be caught up in a lot of man coverage. Mm-hmm. And the one thing we know about the Jacksonville Jaguars, they are built to go. They're, they're a fast team. They want a fast track. They want to get vertical. They want, uh, we call it spaghetti on the plate. Receivers going all across the field, um, trying to bump off in man coverage to open up guys down the field for big plays. That's where they get those 20-plus yard plays from. But if you can sit back in some zone and allow the D-line and linebackers to get their hands up and bat balls down, again, he's not doing a great job of looking off where he's going with the ball. So you take advantage of that. Uh, the Chargers took advantage, and that led to an early, uh, early, uh, early interception that started to sway that, uh, you know, that avalanche one way. But that team, they, they, they continue to stay with what they do. They're not going to change him. They're not going to change anything about him. They believe that he's the guy that's going to take him to the promised land. And we got to pull a uh, – man, all systems got to stop. Everybody got to realize this young man, when the ball is coming out, you got to get in those passing lanes and get your mitts on the ball to make the defense have a chance to um, intercept it or make a big play. Yeah, I, I, I think Trevor Lawrence is a great quarterback. Never lost on a Saturday. How many have we seen that all week long, right? <laughs> uh, I'm going to go, wait a minute. Can we go back to Pop Warner? I bet I can find something uh, back in there. But to me, he's 6'6", and he's trying to find different arm slots. And, I mean, Randy Johnson wasn't coming from, like, some weird arm slot. Max Scherzer might. Yes. But Randy Johnson's blowing you up with 100-mile fastballs coming from the 6'6 angle. And to me, too many of his passes get blocked and deflected. They do. He's trying to find different like arm angles off helmets of his own players. All right, final thought. Let's go around the horn. I'm going to ask you about the receiving core uh, because we really haven't touched on that. You and I did on uh, Kingdom Conversations. But just quickly, your thoughts on the receiving core, your final thought, and then I'll wrap it up. Yeah, well, they have some guys in the receiving core. They spread the football around. Uh, they got four dudes with at least 500 receiving yards this season. Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, Evan Ingram, and Marvin Jones. Kirk and Zay Jones each have uh, at least 80 catches this year so he'll spread the football all over the place I mentioned it really begins with ETN but once ETN gets working all of a sudden that quick passing game he has plenty of options to spread the ball around to so that's why it's so important you make sure you stop ETN early and you're covering his first read because like Sean was saying that quick passing game can be effective but if you're able to get your hands up or if you can cover that first read for a split second, all of a sudden it forces him to look elsewhere, and he struggled uh, in those situations. So he has lots of playmakers on this offense, but if you can disrupt the timing of this offense, it really goes a long way in slowing him down. And you can see Doug Peterson using Evan Ingram, much like the Chiefs want to use Kelsey. Exactly. But Ingram's kind of the, like when they need something, they go to the neutron yeah. uh, uh, of the uh, atom there. Um, your final thoughts on the Jags? Well, every time I think about Etienne, I think of uh, Tiki Barber, the way the Giants used him. I mean, in the passing game, in it's the running comp. game, it, it was just a phenomenal offense set up around this one player. Um, but but against the uh, the Jags offense, I think our I mean against the, the Jags defense, I think our offense needs to do exactly what we did when we played them the last time. It's just it's a possession game. Uh, we control the ball. We we tempo and run the plays we want to run using our shifts and motions to get those players out of position. Like we said, they're a young, young aggressive team, but the way, especially here in our house, we use uh, communication or lack of communication to our benefit. Put them in, you know, our receivers can be in stack alignments. Um, we use different uh, personnel packages to have unfamiliar voices talking on defense um, and, and seeing if they really do believe and have they really studied and learned their technique. Because you can be overly aggressive, but sometimes you get two guys in the wrong gap, and when we bust it for um, around the outside, it's nobody there to, to make that tackle. Or on the back end, what we saw many times in that first game is two or three defenders taking the wrong guy, and that left uh, uh, Tony and other receivers almost just uh, unguarded at times by themselves 
uh, for touchdowns. And especially in, in some of those zoom motions, I think that was the play that Tony, you know, started hopping down the sideline and stuff like that. <laughs> that, that was that, 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 that was kind of NFL touchdown. Right. Yeah. That was that was his, 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 his come out party, right? And it was because defensively they lost track of when that guy goes in motion, who really is responsible for him? Safety's rocking and rolling. Is it a corner coming up playing a flat? A lot of times that shifts in motion, it gets you in some weird positions defensively. And if you ain't sure, a team like ours can really exploit that. And as we close, speaking of rocking and rolling, the advantage <laughs> is getting to play this game at GEHA Field yes, at Arrowhead sir. Stadium. Yes, a lot of you are listening to this podcast who will be there on Saturday afternoon. It is time to bring the acetylene torch and open it up and bring a big-time flame to this game because it. it's probably the biggest asset the Chiefs have. And on this note, if Patrick Mahomes wins this game, he has owned the divisional playoff round. No quarterback has been more successful in divisional playoff rounds than Patrick Mahomes. Nine TDs, no interceptions, quarterback rating of 114. He will join Ken Stabler in NFL history with five straight wins in divisional playoff round without a loss in his first five games. It's time. It's the playoffs. It's the Jags. It's the divisional playoff round. Bring it to GEHA Field at Arrowhead Stadium. Touchdown! Lock it down! And the celebration begins at Arrowhead.